Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. So welcome to See Uncovered by Create Every Opportunity. Zach Sarf and I created CEO and devote so much time to it because we want to solve a very big problem, the lack of financial literacy by high school students. We wanted to become the change and we want to see in the world. CEO provides valuable advice and knowledge to students in schools across the country, knowledge we wish we had when we were in school. Our mission is now to help others create every opportunity. Today we have on David Rubenstein. He's the co-founder and chairman of the Carlisle Group one of the world's largest and most successful private investing firms. David is also known as the host of the David Rubenstein Show and Bloomberg Wealth. He's on the board of organizations like the World Economic Forum, the Kennedy Center, the Smithsonian, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Duke University, and about a half a dozen others. Thank you for joining us, David. My pleasure to be here. So before we get started, we started this podcast to reach high school students to inspire and teach them. Before we talk about your book, can you tell us what are some things you wish you knew when you were in high school? Well, I wish I had known a lot of different things when I was in high school. I didn't know much of business at all or had no financial literacy. My parents were blue-collar workers, so there wasn't a lot of money to invest. And therefore, we didn't really learn much about when I was in high school or from my parents, the investment world. Um, I guess I wish I had learned all the things I've learned in the last 40 or 50 years, but that doesn't, that's not the way the world works. So you just have to accept the facts that uh, you're not going to learn everything when you're in high school, but I think you can do a better job of financial literacy than I, I did. You're someone who comes from a modest background. Why do you think you've become so successful as you have? Well, when you come from a modest background, my father worked in the post office. He made maybe $10,000 a year, uh, which today would be the equivalent of maybe $30,000 or something. Um, you have more um, drive. If you want to get somewhere in this world, you have to have some ambition and you have to have a motivation. If your parents are very wealthy and they hand everything to you, you probably won't have as much ambition or, or drive. So if you look at the people who have been the most successful in the world in almost any category, it's generally people that come from lower uh, income families because those people have more drive, more ambition. People often talk about starting investing early. What advice would you give to young people who want to start investing? Well, first, you have to be realistic about uh, what you're going to be able to achieve. You're not going to be Warren Buffett overnight. I think the most important thing is, is to read, learn what you're uh, investing in, follow it closely, get all the data you can, have realistic expectations of the rate of return you're going to achieve, know when it's a good time to invest and when it's a good time to sell. Um, but you should also enjoy it. If you if you see it's a, basically a, a bore or it's not something you're really uh, interested in, then you're probably not going to be good at it. You probably should find something else you care more about. The theory behind investing is you're going to get more money back than you put in. And if you do, you have uh, lots of options of what you can do with that money. You can buy things, you can give it away, you can save for your future, you can save for your children's future or grandchildren's future, but you have to actually enjoy it. Nobody's ever made a fortune investing who hates investing. You have to really enjoy it. What does the phrase financial literacy mean to you? It means having an understanding of what um, investing is about, what money is about. 
And in the course of an adult life, you will have to deal with money because you're going to get paid a certain salary. Uh, you're going to figure out what to do with the extra money you have. Should you invest it? Should you buy a house? How much should you spend on your children? What, can, what percentage of your children's education should you spend money on? How much should you give away philanthropically? And knowing the value of money is very important to do all that. And being smart about it is one of the things that I think financial literacy is all about, teaching you about the value of money, what it can achieve and what it cannot achieve. Your book, How to Invest in a Masterclass, is a masterclass in investing. What do all these great investors have in common? They have in common that they came from blue collar or lower middle income families. They tended to do very well in school. They tended to be good in math. They tended to be good at, at um, having a vision of where they wanted to go. They tended to be very intellectually curious and like to read a lot. They also tended to be people who um, enjoyed it so much that it wasn't work for them. For them, it was pleasure. They also tended to be contrarians. The great investors are people that go against conventional wisdom. If the conventional wisdom says it's time to sell, they tend to buy or vice versa. They also tend to be philanthropic. They also tend to like to make the final decisions. They tend to uh, not like to delegate very much. They also are willing to share the uh, credit and also take the blame when a mistake is made. That's what they tend to have in common. I'm going to pick two people from your book, John Rogers and Don Fitzpatrick. What makes them so special? John Rogers is an African-American who went to Princeton, was the captain of the basketball team. Two years after Princeton, he started his own investment firm, which is today the largest African-American owned investment firm in the United States. Um, what makes him unusual is he's dedicated to what's called value investing, which is to say, buy companies that are very cheap, inexpensive, don't get caught up in high-flying uh, venture capital kind of deals. And he's very persistent, very dedicated to it. He's somewhat unusual in that he loves McDonald's. He's on the board of McDonald's, but he eats McDonald's once a day, every day, his entire life. He never misses a day at McDonald's, eating something there. So that's unusual. And what about Don? Don Fitzpatrick. Patrick is uh, from an Irish Catholic family, I, and she basically um, was a track star at, at University of Pennsylvania, um, got into the investment world. Now she's managing the money for one of the wealthiest people in the United States, George Soros, who is a legendary hedge fund investor. And she's uh, very, very talented at managing uh, large sums of money, I think about $30 billion more or less that she's managing for George Soros. So it's unusual in the sense that both John Rogers and Don Fitzpatrick don't look like the people that used to do a lot of good things in the, in the money management world. The money management world used to be a world of white males. Now, obviously, it's not. African-American uh, John Rogers and female uh, Don Fitzpatrick are different than what you looked like uh, 30 or 40 years ago when you were invest investing a lot of money. Who was your role model when it came to business? Well, I don't know that I had one role model, but I, I did admire Warren Buffett. I, I've interviewed him many times. I, I'm an original signer of the Giving Pledge, which he developed with Bill and Melinda Gates. Um, I thought he was a very uh, low-key uh, person, didn't brag about himself, modest in his uh, spending habits. Uh, and I thought he was uh, he's a role model, though obviously I'm not as good as he is, but I, I certainly admired him. Successful people embrace change. One of those changes, as we've seen, is cryptocurrency. What are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? If you enjoy um, gambling and going to Las Vegas to gamble, uh, you must allocate a certain amount of money to that, presumably. And whatever that money is, you presume you are willing to lose it because in the end, you're going to lose money if you're gambling. 
Uh, if you're willing to take the same amount of money and put it in the cryptocurrencies because you enjoy the oscillations of cryptocurrencies and being in the middle of that, that's fine. As long as you know you're probably going to lose it all. But if you have enjoyment about it and not putting out too much money, that's okay. Cryptocurrencies are not going away. They're obviously being beat up right now because FTX has gone bankrupt. But I, I think cryptocurrencies are very complicated. It's not uh, something that's easily understood. And I think people should be wary about putting too much money into it. I agree. I don't think people have the knowledge enough, and that's why they're a little skeptical. You often talk about sprinting to the finish. What does that mean? Well, your uh, audience is probably younger people. Um, mm -hmm. So when you are in your teenage years or you're in your 20s, the last thing you're thinking about generally is uh, the end of life. But when you get to be your 60s, 70s, 80s, you begin to think about how much longer you're realistically going to live because the human body doesn't tend to go on for hundreds of years. And so what I mean by sprinting to the finish line is I'm trying to do as many things as I can before my brain collapses or my body collapses, which inevitably it will do in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know when. So I am uh, running an investment firm. I have a large family office I'm running. I also have a, uh, you know, I'm trying to do one book a year. I have some TV shows. I uh, involved in a lot of nonprofit boards, which I chair, including uh, I've chaired the Duke University Board. I chair the University of Chicago Board. I am on the Harvard Corporation Board and a number of other boards, which I'm actively involved with. So I'm trying to do as many things as I can. And that's why I say I'm sprinting, not just waltzing, uh, waltzing to the finish line. How do you manage all your time and kind of give yourself a piece of yourself to all the organizations you're in? Well, I have four people on my staff that help me manage the schedule. Uh, secondly, I don't drink alcohol. That saves a lot of time. Uh, third, I don't play golf. That saves an enormous amount of time. So if you don't play golf, you don't drink alcohol, and you got a lot of people helping to schedule you, I, uh, you know, it can work out. I also tend to treat the weekends like they're weekdays, and I don't really treat Saturday and Sunday as different than the weekdays. So I tend to work on 40 full days on those days as well. When it comes to hiring, what do you look for in employees? What I'm looking for is somebody that's reasonably intelligent, but not a genius. A genius is hard to manage. I'm looking for somebody that has a high degree of work ethic, was willing to work reasonably hard. I'm looking for somebody that wants to be in the investment world because they want to do something good with them for the world. And by investing, you can do some good things for the world. I'm also interested in people that care about the outside world and philanthropic endeavors. I'm looking for people that know how to get along with other people. I'm looking for people whose egos are manageable. I'm looking for people that um, I, I would say are, are know how to accept uh, blame when they do something wrong and know how to share the credit when they do something well. I'm looking for people that want to make something of themselves, people that want to be leaders, people ultimately want to advance themselves and, and become something that they can be proud of later in life. So those are the kind of things I'm looking for. As CEO, what type of leadership style do you try to use when managing your team? It was a leadership style of collaboration. I didn't try to say, I'm the founder of the organization. I'm the CEO of it. You do what I say. Um, I try to get people uh, to work together. We had a, a policy we called One Carlisle. Every part of Carlisle, all of our employees kind of work together. And that's the, the collaborative style that I thought worked best. Try to keep my ego in check. Uh, try to uh, uh, be humble and try to make people feel that they were doing something really useful with their time that they're they're working at the firm. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, what type of mindset leads to success? 
Well, yeah, I think you need to be somewhat optimistic. You have to feel that by working hard, you're going to get somewhere. I think you need a mindset that kind of says, I am uh, not greater than everybody else, a mindset that enables you to work with other people. I think bragging about how great you are is generally not a good idea. Uh, I think uh, telling other people how good their ideas were is probably a better way to approach things. I think somebody who is willing to put in the hours is probably a, a pretty good uh, idea as well. But I think in the end, somebody who is um, interested in making something of their time on the earth uh, and doing something useful. In other words, nobody knows how long you're going to be on the face of the earth and nobody knows why we're really here. But presumably you want to do something that makes your parents proud, your partners proud, your children proud, and you proud of what you've actually done with the abilities that you've been given. What kind of hobbies do you do outside of business? I do podcasts every day. I, I do 10 of these a day. So uh, that's my hobby is listening to uh, participating in podcasts. No, um, I, uh, my hobbies are um, philanthropy. I'm involved in a lot of philanthropy. And so I, I, I regard that as hobbies. But, um, you know, I have three children and I try to help them. They're all in the private equity world. They're all in the investment world. They all went to very good schools like Harvard or Duke or Stanford. And so uh, try to help them. I guess I wouldn't call it a hobby, but it's something that takes some time. What led you to business? Was it early in life? Was it college? I, um, my parents had no business background, and I didn't have any background. But I, um, I worked in the White House when I was very young for President Carter. Uh, when we lost the election in 1980 to Ronald Reagan, I had to go back and practice law. That was all that I really knew how to do. I didn't enjoy it, and I recognized if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to be very good at it. And so I decided to do something different. I thought private equity or investing might be more attractive, intellectually stimulating, and I decided to pursue it, and I got lucky. It, I helped to build one of the largest private equity firms in the world, but it wasn't something I thought would happen when I started the firm. How have you dealt with risk in your career? Well, I've taken some risks. I took a risk to go work in the Carter campaign when he was not you know, necessarily likely to be president of the United States. I took a risk to start Carlisle when people told me that would told me that would never get off the ground. I took some risk to get involved deeply in in uh, philanthropic organizations where I became the chairman and then responsible for how these organizations would perform. So I took some risks, but you know I didn't risk my life. Um, you know, the some one thing to go into the military and go into combat, you're risking your life there. That's a different uh, kind of thing. But I took some professional risk, but not uh, physical risks or or not life sustaining risks. For those who don't know, you're on the board of so many organizations. What does a board member do? Well, in the nonprofit world, uh, you basically are, if you go on these boards, you're trying to give them your judgment or advice about how to operate the university or the uh, or the performing arts center. But there's no doubt that most nonprofits are looking to raise money. And people that go on the nonprofit boards are people expected to either um, give money or help get money from other people. So there's no doubt that there's a fundraising aspect to being on these nonprofit boards. What are some qualities that make for a good salesman? Good judgment is something which comes about from people who have thought through what they want to say or do. Um, it requires some experience. It requires uh, having learned from make, making mistakes. It requires ability to understand how to get along with other people. It requires a, a judgment about what is too risky to do and what is not risky enough. So it, it requires experience to some extent. That's why generally the world is run by people who are older, who, who have experience. The world tends to be run by 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, or 60-year-olds, and not by teenagers. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe that's good, maybe that's not, but that's the way the world has historically operated. Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.